Good morning. I'm hot. That's, that's not a commentary on my appearance as much as the mic, but I am hot. Um, you may have noticed and you've been told by now I'm not Matt Broadway. I'm not your pastor. Often I've been referred to as more of a manly version of Matt Broadway, but really hope he hears this recording now. But uh, if you can, turn in your Bibles with me this morning to Matthew chapter 9. Um, uh, if you don't know me, I'm only here sometimes. My name's Matt Larkin, um, and uh, though I'm not your pastor, sometimes I do lead singing here on Sunday mornings and things of that nature. Um, when I'm not here, I'm performing duties usually as the Director of Student and Family Ministries for Advent Christian General Conference, um, which puts me right across the street. Um, and in that role, I have, I have a, some neat opportunities uh, to interact with AC churches around the country and students. I just got back after the last couple of weeks from a college visit trip. I was visiting Christian colleges up the East Coast into Canada. It is cold up there right now, by the way. It was below zero, and I'm not conditioned for that anymore. <laughs> anyway, um, I've just gotten back from a series of college visits, so it was a really exciting opportunity to meet with some of our students that are training for ministry, and, and there's some really exciting thing ha- things happening in our denomination in that regard, so it's something to really, I think, to get excited about. This church is, is part of some really neat things going on all around the world, and I think we often forget that when we're in our congregations on Sunday morning, but we're part of a really big picture of what God's doing through the Advent Christian Church worldwide, and it's really, really an exciting thing, but... Um, Anyway, a few months ago, as I was traveling, I had the opportunity to share with some folks in Missouri at their annual conference meeting. They carried the theme, Same Navigator, New World, uh, working off the theme verse found in Hebrews 13.8, telling us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that is an amazing truth to consider as we look at all that's going on in the world. Everything going on around us, that is an amazing truth to cling to between wars and rumors of wars and the seeming increase in violence, sexual confusion, and our country's retreat from anything religious and even more so perhaps anything related to faith in Christ. Um, In fact, even among those who call themselves Christians, there's almost this push to remake Jesus. To recreate Christ and the Bible in our own image. We've got that backwards when we do that. But there's a push even in the church to do just that. So this truth that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that's something we need to hold fast to. That's something we need to cling to with all our might. Maybe now more than ever. Now, although we feel blindsided some days with all that's going on, All that's going on around us, the the reality of where we're at right now is really nothing new. Sexual immorality, violence, these things have existed almost from the beginning. Since man fell, we have repeatedly put ourselves in a downward spiral into the deeper depths of darkness. It has been a, it's been a pattern of mankind where we've done this. So this is nothing new. It's a pretty dark picture so far I'm giving you, huh? Recently, my, t- my daily time in the Word has put me in the book of Genesis. And even, even there, in, in the book of beginnings, we see it. Man spirals out of control. Then there's the flood. Man builds a city to make a name for himself, independent of God. Then we see the Tower of Babel incident, and man's language is confused by God. So really, from man's earliest years, we have continually been on this kind of path. 
that our nation finds itself in right now. There really is nothing new under the sun. We have continually found ourselves in the pattern that we find ourselves in today. But as we reflect upon this Jesus whom we worship, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, there's a heart and there's a mindset that accompany that. And that mindset, that heart, they produce a response to where we're at. They do. They produce a response to where we're at. And that's where we find ourselves in this time where things seem to be spiraling out of control. We still have this Jesus who, who responds into that darkness, who responds into these things in a very specific way. And that's what we find as we look at Matthew 9, verses 35 to 38, which is where we're going to be this morning. We see Jesus' response. We see how He reacts to this. And it might not be in the way you'd think. So let's look there. Verse 35 starts out, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into into his harvest. May God add a blessing to the reading of His Word. Now it's important to note as we look at this passage that it comes on the tail end of Matthew talking about Jesus healing a whole variety of people over the previous two chapters. Jesus had seen affliction by this point. From the end of the Sermon on the Mount on, Matthew's Gospel tells us of Jesus healing lepers, healing those with demons, blind men, and it goes on and on over those next couple of chapters. So this gives us the context for what we're looking at here in Matthew 9. Jesus has seen the brokenness of humanity. Jesus had seen the brokenness of humanity. Jesus has just witnessed and ministered to the depth of the brokenness and affliction that humanity has. He's seen some of their deepest struggles. Verse 36 tells us when He saw the crowds, He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Essentially, He saw the people for what they were. He saw them for what they were. As he looked around, he saw a harassed and helpless people. He saw a broken people. And folks, as we look around and as we look at some of the issues that face us, and some of the things that just don't make sense to us all around us, and, and I'm sure all of us, there's issues going on around the world and right in our own backyards that just don't make sense to us, right? They're just not making sense. It doesn't compute. There are days that I feel like I'm going crazy, to be honest with you, when I look at some of the things going on around me. We all find ourselves in that place. But some of those things that just don't make sense all around us, we find that that is what's at the root. Just that. This idea that they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That phrase, like sheep without a shepherd, as it appears here in Matthew 9, points to a couple of things. It points to in this case, a lack of political leadership, and second, a lack of spiritual leadership. The idea of being harassed and helpless literally means torn and thrown down when you look at the Greek. Torn and thrown down. That's where the people found themselves. Torn and thrown down. So ultimately, at this stage of the game, Matthew's description of how Jesus saw the people gives us a picture of a beaten down and broken race of people. Just broken 
to the core. Who are without adequate leadership, whom before Jesus' arrival were without anyone to guide them out of the darkness and despair that they found themselves in. And their sins, their affliction, they were both at the root and were results of that brokenness and that lack of guidance. You got that? Their sins, their afflictions, all of that stuff that boils to the surface, the stuff that we see, this is both at the root of that and it's a result of that. So you find yourselves in this vicious cycle. That's that's what we see with the people. This vicious cycle because these things were, were the cause of and the result of their brokenness and their affliction. It's a tough place we find the people in at this point as Jesus comes on the scene. And the author here isn't just talking about physical affliction either. There are certainly physical illnesses that we see in this passage. Um, we see that, there, that Jesus had healed a lot of these things. But that's not all that's going on here, especially when you look at some of the demon possession and other things that Jesus has dealt with. There's a spiritual affliction that's really what's, that's really what's at the root of all of this. It's a spiritual affliction. We see the physical affliction sometimes, but we miss the spiritual affliction beneath the surface. That's what's going on here. That's what Jesus identifies that maybe nobody else was. He saw people aimlessly searching for answers, awaiting this Messiah that they didn't even know was already there. He saw people being oppressed by corrupt political leadership, corrupt spiritual leadership, and He saw lost sheep just waiting, just waiting for someone to lead them out of the dark and depressed state that they had found themselves in. Folks, this is the state that we find ourselves in today. This is the state of our nation today. It's the state of our world today. Things really haven't changed that much. As we go to our jobs or to school, as we go to restaurants and, and malls, as we watch TV, listen to the radio, go to sporting events, concerts, or plays, we are apt to find people in the same state. In fact, if we don't, we're probably not looking that hard. We are apt to find people who are harassed, helpless, afflicted, walking around like sheep without a shepherd. In speaking to this a little bit, Walt Mueller, who's the executive director of the Center for Parent Youth Understanding, wrote an article. He's a great resource for you parents if you're looking for help in discipling your children. He, he has really the, the pulse on what's going on in youth culture more than anybody that I, that I look into. Um, but he wrote an article following the Video Music Awards on MTV. And I want to read you a small ex- excerpt from it because I think it really encompasses where we're at and, and, and some of the things that, that maybe we don't even see. He writes in, a, in, art- in an article titled VMA Hangover Thoughts the Morning After. Culture is a map and a mirror. As a map, it guides us through life, telling us what to believe and how to live in the world. As a mirror, it reflects back to us things that we might pass over things we might ignore or otherwise miss. While it's much more complex than this, youth culture in its most basic sense maps out life for our kids, like it or not. For those of us who are adults, it helps us see the maps our kids are following so that we can offer biblical affirmation or correctiveness where needed. And then there was last night's MTV Video Music Awards. A map taking our kids right into the midst of a massive moral, ethical, spiritual, and lifestyle train wreck. I watched from start to finish. I took notes. I went to bed and I could hardly sleep. This morning I'm trying to gather and record my thoughts and I'm not sure where to begin. 
what to say in the middle or how to bring it all to a conclusion. I've watched since the first VMAs aired in 1984. Since then, the envelope has stretched far beyond whatever one could ever think or imagine. Last night, it stretched so far that I wonder how close we are to a cultural snapping point. A couple of hours into the show, I posted these words on Facebook. I don't think it's a matter of my age. Rather, I think the accelerated rate of cultural change. Tonight's VMAs are an example of how our celebration and embracing of brokenness is increasing. That's an important line. Tonight's VMAs are an example of how our celebration and embracing, celebration and embracing of brokenness is increasing. Sadly, most will watch and enjoy as it's all been normalized. Many will watch and learn, then emulate. It is more over the top than ever. I feel grief and I feel a sense of urgency regarding telling kids the truth. He goes on, but that's a good little snapshot of, of what he saw. and I, I think that's important. Well, there are certainly new struggles facing our society in 21st century America and abroad. At the root of many of these struggles is that same brokenness, that same affliction, that same aimless searching that Jesus saw in, in first century Galilee. The celebration of brokenness that Mueller spoke of regarding the VMAs is a very clear and public representation of a people who are so broken, so directionless, that they have no idea, no idea, what else to do other than simply celebrate the state that they're in? They are harassed. They are helpless. They are like sheep without a shepherd. And what's more, they're celebrating it these days. The analogy of sheep used here in Matthew is, is quite appropriate because among other things, sheep are directionless. Sheep are prone to wander. Even if you put them in an absolutely perfect environment with everything they need, sooner or later, sheep just wander off. They just do. If a shepherd doesn't manage them, if he doesn't micromanage them, in fact, and keep them under constant surveillance, they'll wander off and they'll be lost. That's sheep. Left to themselves, sheep will not and cannot last very long. Some of you may have more experience with sheep than I do. I'm, I'm taking some researcher's word for that. But that's the reality of sheep, apparently. Sheep are dumb and directionless. They are also defenseless. Left to themselves, sheep will not and cannot last very long. Just about any other domesticated animal can be returned to the wild and will stand a fighting chance of survival, but not sheep. Interesting. Put sheep in, a wild, in the wild and you just gave nature a snack, was a quote I read. I, I kind of like that. If you put sheep in the wild, you've just given nature a snack. Nature needs that once in a while. So when we look at this passage and when we look at the world around us today, look at our nation today, look at even some of our friends and our neighbors today. I've got friends and neighbors that fit this bill. I've got family members who fit this bill. It's with that backdrop that some of the things that are happening right now, those things that just blow our minds, it's with that backdrop that those things are happening. They are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, left only to try to make sense themselves of the things that they are experiencing. And like sheep, unable to do so adequately. 
So that's the situation. What's the response? Well, the response is painted for us in Jesus here. Jesus responds with compassion. As bleak as that picture looks, Jesus responds with compassion. What's interesting here as we look at Matthew 9 is Jesus' response because Jesus isn't angry. He doesn't condemn them. He responds instead with compassion. Because, because they were harassed and helpless. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He looked at their condition and He looked at their confusion. He looked at their struggles, even their illnesses, and He had compassion on them. He felt their pain. He felt their struggles. He felt it all. When we examine the first chapter of John and we read, and the Word became flesh and He dwelt among us and we have seen His glory, glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is one of the most important pieces, I think, to that. This idea of the Word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. He came to us, yes, to be the propitiation, the satisfaction for our sins. But He also came and He dwelt among us that He might have an even deeper connection to us. That He might be able to deepen His relationship to us. That He might be able to feel our suffering on a deeper level. He might be able to see all that we're struggling with in a new way. He came to bring compassion. He came to bring sympathy, empathy even to a degree. To a world who needed it so much. To a world who still needs it so much. He came to guide us as one full of grace and truth. One who could not only show us the way, but one who was the way. He reacted with compassion. Compassion is all too lacking in this world. Some days it feels like it's nowhere to be found. If you look on the internet, social media especially, people are just looking for someone to fall. They really are. So they can just pounce. We're almost, and Christians are not immune. We're almost just looking. We're ready for it. We're excited for it. We're ready for somebody to fall. I'm from New England. I'm actually not a Patriots fan, but you look at something as simple as the deflate gate thing a year ago with Tom Brady apparently taking the air out of footballs um, during last year's AFC Championship football game. Regardless of where you'll fall in regards to whether how big a deal that is in football and everything else, it's really not that big a deal when it comes to life. But how happy were people all over the country that they had the opportunity to, opportunity to pounce on the weakness of someone previously perceived as strong. How excited were people to call into talk radio to get on the internet and just blast this guy that they had previously perceived as strong. To, to, to just jump on that weakness. How excited were people to have someone to rip apart for a while? We as a society seemingly love to have weakness to pounce on. So we can feel, I don't know, so we can feel superior or something. Makes us feel good for a minute to feel like we're better than somebody else. And let's face it, we're, again, we are not immune to this as Christians, to this kind of behavior. Very often Christians are perceived as if, whether it's fair or not, as if we have the biggest superiority complex of them all. And sometimes it is well-earned. Sometimes it may not be, folks, but sometimes that is well-earned. Because many of us do. Many of us do have the biggest superiority complex of them all. We forget our own weakness. We forget our own brokenness. 
We forget that any strength that we actually do have is through Christ and not through us. <laughs> we look on humanity's weakness. We look upon their sin, upon their affliction, and we scoff. We look at them and say, how can they do that kind of stuff? How can they? It's just, it's gross. It's terrible. It's awful. And some of it is awful. It's not to say it's not. But we see Jesus. He looked on their weakness. He saw their affliction. He even saw their sin. He saw that they had no direction and He had compassion. He had compassion. Maybe these people had brought it upon themselves. But He saw the crowds for what they were. They were sheep. Sheep that were harassed, that were helpless. With no shepherd to lead them out of the state that they were in. He saw that. Look around, folks, and you'll see the same thing. All around us, see the crowds. See the crowds. And that kind of brings us to what comes next. Then He said to His disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into His harvest. Having compassion on the crowds, Jesus immediately turns to His disciples. And this is where the passage shifts from a reflection on what He's seen to a commission. It shifts from reflection to commission. And He says to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. They're needed. In fact, these folks would be the early laborers. It would ultimately be them. And about 2,000 years later, it's us. We're the laborers. Because what we see here is that not only is there great need in society, but there is also tremendous opportunity. Where there is great need, there is tremendous opportunity for the Gospel. There is a harvest out there. People searching for direction. Searching for meaning. Searching for something that can make sense of their condition. And as we said, absent finding something to make sense of it, they've just celebrated their condition. That's why we see what we see. That's why we see people, again, celebrating sin, celebrating brokenness, celebrating their own despair because they need someone to guide them. And they don't have it in so many cases. I mentioned that theme, same navigator, new world. People need a navigator to guide them and to lead them. Ultimately, to the promised land. They need a navigator to guide them there. They don't get there necessarily on their own. They need someone who can lead them from their brokenness to be made whole once again. And folks, we know who that navigator is. We know that navigator. We are privileged. We are blessed to know that navigator. We've simply got to begin to see the harvest that's all around us. That's where it starts. That's what the message this morning is titled, Seeing the Harvest. That's what it's about. We've got to start to see people differently than we did before. Jesus says here that the, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. There are certainly plenty of potential laborers in our churches. But even today, 2,000-ish years later, not all of those potential laborers are actually out in the field laboring. Not even a little bit. 
Many of us are hiding. Many of us are, are sitting, watching in judgment. Many of us just don't see the harvest at all. We, we see people as enemies. All the while, we're missing the opportunity that's right in front of our faces. We're missing out on what God may be having for us. We're missing out on those people that God may be leading us to for a variety of reasons. We don't see the harvest all around us. And before you think I'm pointing fingers at everybody here, I'm just as guilty often of that as anybody else. It's easy, folks, when we look at all the evil that's around us today to start to look as the lost, at the lost as enemies. It's easy to see their sin only. This is especially easy when they, as they are now, starting to come at us. Society's starting to come at us a bit. It's getting a little harder. And that makes it even easier to crawl into our shells and just want to play defense. It's easy to look at the world around us today and simply feel defeated. It is. In fact, that's probably the natural reaction. At which point, we we cower in our churches and our homes and we don't see the potential that's out there. We miss it. Again, I understand. It's a new world. It is. There are a lot of new struggles out there. There are a lot of things we as a nation have never really dealt with before. And it brings up a whole lot of new challenges for the church. We're having to have discussions about things we didn't have to have discussions about 30 years ago. We're having to deal with things and try to make sense of things that we never would have thought of when we were kids. But it's there. It's there now. But the reality is the affliction that Jesus sees here is the same affliction that's at the root of all that's going on around us. And this affliction that's at the root of all of this is as old as the fall of man. Folks, we've been afflicted for thousands of years. So we need to start to see people for who they really are. Afflicted, harassed, helpless. Like sheep without a shepherd. I don't recommend you necessarily walk up to somebody and tell them that that's what they are. But we've got to see that. And when we see that, when we begin to see that, compassion begins to come. And as compassion begins to come, we start to see the harvest all around us. It's a nice cycle. It's a nice progression that happens in our hearts. We need to begin, though, by seeing what's at the root of all this. They don't know what's at the root. They don't know what's causing their pain, their affliction. Some of, Again, in some cases, they don't even know they have it. And He has called us, just as He did His early, early disciples, to pray earnestly that the Lord of the harvest will send out laborers into that harvest. And we need to continue not only with that prayer, but to recognize that we ourselves are those laborers. We don't want to leave His harvest fields empty. Starts with starts with seeing, and it goes from there. Now more than ever in this nation, people are searching. As His laborers, let us go out into those harvest fields and let us begin to see the need that's all around us. And maybe, maybe we respond by pointing these poor lost souls all around us to the only One, to the only One who can heal their affliction. The only One who can really heal them from their pain. The only One who can offer direction into a world that is completely lost absent the Good Shepherd. 
It's an amazing truth that we have the privilege to bear. Let us bear it with joy and with fervency. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Scriptures. We're so thankful for what we find there. It's uh, Admittedly, it, it feels some days like a task that's just too big. I feel overwhelmed some days. I don't always know what to do. I don't always know how to feel. <laughs> I just don't always know. Lord, it's, it's hard. Um, but... Lord, we know that, that we, in, in knowing you, we know the one who, who knows the path. We know what's, who, we know the one who knows what's coming. We also know, Lord, that we know the one who provides the healing prescription for the affliction that is all around us. Lord, we are thankful to be chosen as your vessels. I, I'm thankful. Lord, may it be a, a privilege that I take seriously, that all of us take seriously. May we go out into your harvest field the way of you have you have called us to do. To go out into your harvest fields to to reap what has been sown. Lord, to lead these lost souls to the one who can help them find the way. Lord, we are thankful once again. We are certainly aware that you are the one who deserves the praise. Lord, we lift these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen.